I think it's this notion that black women are unhold accountable. Like you can't hold a black woman accountable. She has suffered. She dies during childbirth. Granny was oppressed by grandfather, even though that's not everybody's family story, but that's another day. You can't talk about because black women and them manipulating this tweet, black women are the most unprotected demographic in the world. Say the rest of the fucking quote, because that's not all he was talking about. So it's like men can't say anything. That's why I generally, <laughs> I'm kind of laid off the rims. Like if you want to catch yeah. me going off, I'll, I'll go off on my tweet. You know how we do. You know how we do. Beat Talk episode 115. Talk to him. Talk to him. Are we on the Tweet Talk. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Megana himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Episode Greenface Rolex Watch. Man, I didn't know that I mean, the they, different face means something different. I was watching my watch YouTube and they were saying like a blue face Rolex indicates it's a precious metal. So a blue face indicates it's like gold because you have stainless steel Rolexes, you have gold, white gold, yellow gold, and then you have a blue face, which indicates that it's the gold. And then you have, so like stainless steel is usually going to get like a black or a white face. And then you have green dials, which is for like limited edition models. So they only make limited edition green dial Rolexes. And they have like light blue, which is for platinum Daytonas. You learn so much listening to these YouTube channels, man. YouTube is lit. Mm. Who knew? You named like the last three episodes like a Rolex. Because I'm addicted, man. Once you once you crack it, you like, bruh. It's funny because before I got my last one, I was like, this is the last watch I'm going to get. And then I was like, you get it. And you just be looking like every night, like I need another one because it's different, man. It's a different kind of flex because it looks different. People would know they might not see the logo, but they can see that it's a quality piece. So spending money on quality matters. Um, you can definitely tell the difference between a regular car and a Mercedes. It's just different. You know, uh, Jamal, he appears to be whipping a Beamer, you know. Come on, Charles. You know, I, I do that financial literacy humbleness. Cut that out. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> but, but Dallas, you know, you probably got to, you know, flash a little bit in Dallas. Inter- interesting thing about the car that Charles is referencing. Um, when I crashed out my Honda Civic, shout out to my Honda Civic. Uh, my cousins talked me into this. They're like, Mom, you graduated college. You know, you you so responsible. You do all this. You never spend on yourself. Spend out when you get a new car. So I went, looked at the cars. A Civic was also in consideration, but I fell in love with this Beamer and I got it. The lust wore off after a week. Man, I wanted my Honda Civic back. Like it's it's Ooh. nothing, nothing wrong with people in their foreign cars. It's just with me and how my personality works. I just I ain't into it. See, it didn't inspire you, motivate you. You don't feel like you've accomplished something in this car. The move to Dallas inspired me more than the car. Like it's just and I I think I get a bad rep thinking people think because I make money that I hate luxury. I don't hate luxury. It's just from my perspective. Y'all see me tweet this all the time. Growing up broke did something to my spirit. Like it takes less for me to be satisfied. So the luxury I love, like I, most people who know me know, 
I'll spend five, six hundred dollars on a suit. Hell, I might spend a thousand dollars on a suit. This different things are luxury to me. People like cars, Charles like watches. You know, we're we're different things. It's just cars ain't my thing. I like well, everything luxury. And what's interesting is I ha- I had this thought today, and I was thinking about how it's kind of unfair or incorrect to blame like our desire to be dope fathers on the fact that a lot of us didn't have dope fathers Mm. because it's folks out there who are dope fathers because they saw a dope father. Mm -hmm. So really it's just a matter of like your character and what's inside you and what you're built up built out of that's going to make you a dope dad. Like a lot of stuff doesn't have to be out of spite. And so when you said that it was interesting because I don't feel like I grew up broke. I think I didn't. Re- I don't think I really grew up broke. Maybe that's the reason why I'm attracted to luxury because I didn't. I don't feel like I really grew up broke. And so I'm like, bro, like for for the longest time, I was chasing what my parents already established. And so I was, I was however old I was, and I was like, you know what? I can live this life with my parents, but I'd rather go get it for myself. And so I had to go out there and I had to go and get it myself. So I could see that. I could see, you know, because it's like everybody in my family got a, a Lexus. Like we all we got the same car. <laughs> I got I got Alexis. My mom has Alexis and my stepdad has Alexis. We all got the same car. And I don't know. I guess it's, that's interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. We're over here learning new stuff every day. Welcome to Rolex Talk, folks. I mean, Rolex Talk. <laughs> I mean, Tweet Talk, the Black Belt Podcast. I'm your host, Raphael Husbands. Follow me on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow my co-host, Charles, on Twitter at Real Todd Billion, accept no substitutes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod, that's P-O-D. And follow our guests, reoccurring guests, friend to the show, Jamal Vatos, a.k.a. The Culture's Banker. Follow him on Twitter at Leo Grand Prince. What's up, Jamal? I gotta Remind the people who you are. Out. I got to give y'all a shout out. I always do this when y'all bring me on. This got to be maybe the fourth or fifth time y'all brought me on. But I got to... In this in this age of gurus and experts, I always got to shout out Raphael and Charles because we were talking about financial literacy before it was trendy, before it was sexy, before it was everybody on Wealth Twitter and all that. Me and Charles met being the only two talking about stocks or anything financial. And now it's gone mainstream and I'm not hating on people who are doing it legitimately. But I want to give it out to the grandfather in my eyes mm-hmm. who, who started it, who was doing it. He keep doing it no matter the hate, no matter the the jealousy, no matter the, oh my God, the viral tweets. We both, we experienced them viral <laughs> tweets, Charles, where they just be in the mentions fighting demons like Jesus Christ. But shout outs to Charles and Raphael, because we was in this, you know, from a hip hop reference in the mud before it was sexy, before it was glamorous, before everybody had, you know, a consultation oh, yeah, and all that yeah. shit we was doing. <laughs> But I would say the cool thing about it is that was always kind of the goal. The goal was to make this kind of talk mainstream, to make it so that we weren't the only people doing it. So I always say that it's cool that that has happened. There are so many podcasts out there, Mm -hmm. people doing crazy numbers. There's so many people having their own business. So mission accomplished, y'all. I think we did it. What's the next mission? Buy a sports team. You're going to buy the charges, ain't you? Yeah, that's the goal. But you know what's interesting about <laughs> what's, what's what's interesting is I don't know if did you guys listen to the most recent uh, Earn Your Leisure podcast where they were talking about this new sports league. There's a new sports league for kids who are still in high school. You have to be like 16, and so they're considered professionals. They get paid. They get housing. They get transportation. They get educated on campus. 
they have to forego their college eligibility and then they're going to actual professional basketball. And so what they've done is they've created their own league. They have their own stadium. They're doing this whole thing. And what they did is they had this idea and they took it and they got funding for their idea. So I think they maybe raised like a hundred million and they launched this thing. It's called OTE Overtime Elite. Oh, wait a minute. Overtime is that YouTube channel, right? Um, right. It's a YouTube channel. And that's how oh, they that's wow. how they get their 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 that's how they publicize a lot of their stuff is through social media. That's so funny. What's the sport. Basketball. Basketball. That's what they do. Um, it's funny. We always talk about get started, get fancy later. They started off as a YouTube platform, just and they I think their niche their niche has always been like high school basketball. I guess because it's less competition there. Mm-hmm. And they figure like this is our lane. Yeah. And when you take action, you take steps, you move forward. They made they probably didn't, they probably never thought we're gonna create our own league. But when you take the steps, the vision starts to form and you right. start seeing bigger things, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I bring it up because it's like I'm trying to stop using the word like. I was listening to a podcast and I was over here thinking <laughs> I use that damn word too much. Oh, before we go forward, we've reached 4,000 subscribers on the Tide Capital channel. So shout out to you guys. We're going to do a giveaway. I don't know what that giveaway is going to be, but it's going to be something substantial. So shout out to us. I just thought that was interesting because whenever we get these civil rights issues, they're all, it's always like, let's start our own league. Let's start our own league. And we make it seem like it's this thing that's so impossible. Meanwhile, this dude has started five leagues. The guy who started Overtime Elite also started the WNBA. He also started the G League. He also started, there's like a 2K league. And then he started another league that I'm I'm not sure of. But it's important because there's nothing that we can't do. It doesn't matter how big and how daunting. In fact, if it's big and daunting, that's even better. Because the mm-hmm. bigger and the more daunting, the bigger the payday. The bigger the problem you solve, the more money you make. And so I saw that and I was kind of disappointed. Because from what I heard, it sounded like a brother that was not of African-American descent. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a dope concept. It shows what can be done. So this show is not about that. This show is about Jamal. Jamal, don't make uh, it about me. <laughs> how, let's 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 dig into this Dallas move, man. You moved to Dallas. What inspired the move to Dallas? You've been in Baltimore, uh, worked in professional uh, spaces. What inspired that move, man? Well, anybody who knows me knows that I am a Baltimore born bred. Through and yeah, through. you're you're still a Baltimore Ravens fan, fortunately. Don't do that. Yes. And honestly, I'd always told people that I was never leaving Baltimore. You know, that city had raised me and educated me. I was not one of the subscribers to the notion that you can't achieve in Baltimore. Like the city, the city hates, like they don't support, blah, blah, blah. I was going to get it no matter what. Then the pandemic happened and that working from home remotely seeing them full walls, like was driving me crazy. Not just that I wasn't uh, sleeping and I can relate to this and Charles, Charles is a spiritual dude. So it was like something in my spirit wasn't settled. Like, and you know, I've been thinking like, yo, God, I ain't found a wife yet and all this other stuff. And then it started sitting with me. He was like, who told you you was going to stay here? Like Mm. you said you was going to stay here. I didn't sign off on you staying here. Like time to go. And Mm. a few years before a college friend of mine had tried to tell me years ago, he was like, you know, you should come because he had moved to Dallas. He was like, you should come to Dallas. Like the way you network, the way you, you know, you know, talk to people, you can have your way down. It's like, man, I ain't never leaving Baltimore. Get out of here. You you cool. I come see you. And I circled back. I was like, yo, you think Dallas is still a place for me? 
We was like, yeah. He said, come down here on, come down here for a week and see how it is. So I was going to come down here last February. Well, actually, yeah, this past February, they just left. Dallas was in the middle of a snowstorm. They couldn't handle it. They, the power went out and all that. So I had to push it back a couple of weeks. But I came down here in the week I spent. I remember that. Right. That was a pretty the week I spent. The week I spent. I did go out and see the city and whatever, but I spent a couple of day, couple of days just exploring the city like I would a local, going to restaurants, viewing the city, see if I liked it. And I knew it was home because I had traveled around up and down the East Coast. I'd been to other places. And every time I was out, I was like, I can't wait to get back to Baltimore, except when I got to Dallas. I was like, I don't want to leave. Mm. So that's when I I didn't even go home and contemplate moving. I knew I was moving before I got back on the plane to go back. So I made up in my mind I was going to move. And it's funny when I did that, because I've had people reach out to me like, what did you do? When you just like, how did you prepare when you decided you was gonna move to Dallas? Nothing. I just decided I was gonna move and yeah. started making moves. <laughs> like I looked for an apartment in Dallas, like I would in Baltimore. It was just fifteen hundred miles away. Like the one thing that Dallas has taught me so far is getting out of the normalcy and the routine of Baltimore has made me sharper. Like my mind moves different. The way I network with people, I see the world already more differently. You know, I was a thinker anyway, but now being out of an environment when I don't have familiarity, I don't have friends. I don't and I don't say that in a lonely sense is like there is no routine distractions to get in my way. Yeah. And the move is going great. I'm exploring the city, but I'm also, you know, meeting people and networking. And it's a good time. Um. Most people, well, I have two questions because I don't want us to not get to these questions, but most people, when they think of like moving to a major city, they think downtown. So how did you find a city within the city to move to? Because whenever I think of saying like, oh, you got to live downtown, you got to live downtown. But a lot of times you're living in like kind of the outskirts that are still commutable to downtown. How did you pick that location? And also, how did you pick, because everybody else, you're black and you're moving. You got to move to Atlanta. But you were like, no, nah, I'm not going to Atlanta. I'm moving to Dallas. How did you pick Dallas? And then also, how did you pick that city within Dallas? Uh, I actually do live in the city in Dallas. Uh, I live on the side of Dallas. I'm a city boy. That's always going to be. Um, but there are, to Charles's point, there are major cities surrounding Dallas, like Plano, Frisco, Uptown. People don't know what these cities are. Maybe you do. If you but it's really depending on what you want. I knew that for me, I liked fine dining. I knew I'm in finance. The finance districts in most cities are always downtown. So I need to be close to that. Um, Also, I would rather be downtown near like the major airports and all that. It's about convenience for me. I knew the type of lifestyle that I want. I want to be able to get on the plane quickly, not have to travel through all this traffic, all this other nonsense. And I live right between DFW and Love Field, which are the two major airports in Dallas. Also, the restaurants I like are near here. So it's really about a matter of personal preference. So you got to know what you like. Some people don't like the city life. They like that quiet suburban deer running across the street type of Frisco type of living. That will drive me crazy. Like, I don't like the silence like that. So I tell people all the time, I'm safe. I feel more comfortable when I'm around Cyrus. And that's just how it is. We around what? Sirens, ambulance, <laughs> police oh. sirens. <laughs> that type of stuff. Now, in reference to why Dallas as opposed to Atlanta and Houston, which were both on my list, a couple of things. Atlanta is very oversaturated, very oversaturated. Also, I'm not sure who this might offend, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
the black business community in Atlanta has gotten a reputation for being scamming at this point. Like mm. their legitimate businesses don't legitimize. So I wasn't getting <laughs> in the middle of it. Um, Houston is a smaller Atlanta on the fact that they're more party focused as opposed to business focused. And their zoning is kind of crazy. Like their zoning laws are wild. Like you could have a church, a condo, a bar and a strip club on the same corner. I, I don't need that type mm. of nonsense. There's no structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dallas for me again, Dallas was and is considered the financial capital of the Southwest. I mean, it's Dallas. It's old money, ancient money. It's like oil money, like the TV show Dallas, that type of money. And for a finance guy like me, it suits my career. And I think sometimes people make that mistake. And I've seen people, even before I left Baltimore, they would say, oh, I'm leaving Baltimore, I'm leaving Baltimore, I'm leaving Baltimore. And they would choose New York, Atlanta, that type of thing. But it didn't fit their career. Like, why are you moving to Atlanta when the medical field is your thing? Like the DMV has some of the best hospitals in the world. Like this is where you should be. Maybe not in Baltimore, maybe in DC, maybe in Delaware, like in close in that area. So for me, it was, it had to start with my career first, because if I could not continue my financial elevation, it wasn't going to work. So it really only gave me a few cities. I could move to New York, which was never going to happen because I hate that place. Like I can't live without a car. Like it's too many people in New York. Dallas was another place. Chicago has kind of like, you know, a finance merchant structure, but I ain't want to deal with that city or LA and the cost of living is crazy. Like I'm not doing it. Right. So it you left consider Dallas, Charlotte. It was too slow of a city. Dallas is in the South, but it's not that slow. Like Charlotte, I, I did consider it. I did some research on it, but I was like, yeah, that's too slow for me. I'm a big city boy. So it still needs to be like a small big city and not like a slow big city. Like, I get what you're saying. I definitely get what you're saying. Um, cost of living compared to Baltimore. What is that cost of living like in Dallas? Is it better? It's way better. I would say it's 20 percent better. Like, really, I'm getting more. I'm getting more than for the same amount that I paid in Baltimore. Actually, I'm paying a little less. I'm paying like three hundred dollars less. I'm getting more. Wow. $300 goes far, man. Yeah, exactly. It's not a small $300. Think about that on a 12-month scale, if my math is a little bit right. We're talking about $3,000. Mm-hmm. $3,600. Yeah, $3,600. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 3600 that's, that's a lot over compounding years for my investing people. $3,600 over five <laughs> years adds up. Yeah. Did it's you get a, a luxury high rise or you just got a, a good apartment? No, actually, no. That Again, that's not my style. Like, I don't want oh, the high rise. Like, I'm man, more in guy, like. You got a townhome. <laughs> not you got even a townhome and a not, puppy. No. Now, this guy got a studio. actually, mind you, even even though I'm like, I'm going to when this lease is up, I'm going to move like because I do want a dog and I need some more like space and everything like that. Just because I'm close to downtown, I don't want them high rises. Like to me, it's like that's not my feel. <laughs> that's not my thing. But and Dallas doesn't have a lot of those either. Like there's some in a neighborhood called Victory Park, but it's very much like Dallas builds their apartment complex kind of like they build their houses, like one story, like ranchers. Like mm-hmm. that's how their complexes are spread out in like a sprawling type of thing. Yeah, they do exactly. I um. It's so weird. I was in Dallas and I, I turned into a community and it looked like townhomes, but it was really an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is kind of dope over here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would like this. And you feel like you're in like a neighborhood, but it's owned by like Camden. And Camden is a large apartment complex builder mm-hmm. and owner across the country. So I thought that was kind of cool. 
All right. So I think it's time to get into these tweets. Let's get into these tweets. <laughs> so, Charles, I believe you, you finished off uh, the last episode with a thought from you that we didn't go into. You oh, said yeah. having a 30 year mortgage is ghetto. Yeah, man. Just because things are ghetto doesn't mean that it's not good to do for a time being. And so or it's not it's just because it's ghetto doesn't mean that you might not do it to get to a certain place. So the reason why I tweeted that is because we bought our house, our house appreciating value. We get a bunch of letters and the letters are always like, hey, refinance your house. Hey, get a HELOC. Hey, get this dude. And I was like, I'm not refinancing my house for another 30 years. If you live in a house for 10 years and you refinance it for another 30 years, your payment might go lower, but now you still have to pay off that house for another 30 years. I don't want to do that. I have no desire to take 30 years to pay off something that I could pay off in five years if I just buckled down. And so my only strategy is to get that mortgage from a 30 year to a 15 year, because the difference between a 30 year and a 15 year mortgage is maybe a thousand dollars. So now instead of my mortgage being what it is, it'd be a thousand dollars more. Yeah, it's going to be tight in the meantime, but a semi truck can handle that. A tour car can handle that. When you start thinking of creating money as opposed to exchanging time for money, the world is your oyster. So I'm not saying don't get a 30-year mortgage. If that's how you can afford that house, by all means, get in there with a 30-year mortgage. But your plan should never be to take 30 years to pay off that asset because mathematically it's ignorant. If you do the math, if you take 30 years to pay off that mortgage, the first 15 years you're paying nothing but interest and a small dent towards principal. It's all it's all interest and property taxes. I've looked at my mortgage statement and it's like, oh, you paid this much per year in principal. You paid this much per year in interest and this much per year in property taxes. And I was like, that's just ignorant. Why would I go through life and let's say you buy a house for $300,000. And if you do the math, you paid $900,000 for that $300,000. Now, maybe it appreciates in value to 600, 650. That's still a loss. I don't make moves without applying some financial intelligence to them. And that just doesn't make sense to pay $900,000 for something I should, for something I bought for $300,000. That don't make no sense. And so I'm strategically finding ways to get that stuff out the paint. Cause quite honestly, the 15 year mortgage ain't the play either. I'm trying to get it out way sooner than that. And that's mm. what having dividends pay for that. So Jamal, on that same tip, now you're a finance guy, you're a stock market guy, you're a Wall Street guy, you're a investing guy, you know these numbers. What do you say to that and the people, you know, the opportunity cost people? You all know what, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I got you. Um, to Charles point is good because when he tweeted that I saw it and I thought about it because uh, I see it on Twitter a lot. People like, uh, why would I put put all my cash in buying this when I can finance it and get it at a lower rate? Yeah, it sounds good. But until you own it fully, it's a liability. So why not if you can buy the real estate and own it, the appreciation still going to go up. If something happens, you still have that asset. And it's just, it's very true to Charles's point is asinine because the interest you pay on a 30 year mortgage is ridiculous. Hell, the interest you pay on a 15-year mortgage is ridiculous. They're getting you by the loan. They're basically, it's what I like to call you, it's like a, a convenience um, interest. Like they're, they're basically taxing you for allowing you to buy the asset. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We gave you this loan to allow you to buy this house. Now we're going to tax you all the hell to it. And that's why if you read the fine print of some of these loans, they penalize you for paying it off early. Like it's I've that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. If I pay off this loan early because you can't risk getting me for paying my mortgage payment late. 
because you can't risk if it's an APR loan. You can't risk, you know, the interest going. You're, you're penalizing me for if the interest goes up and I'm paying it off. Now you've lost that income you thought you were going to get. So put yourself in a position if you have to, as Charles said, take out the mortgage. If you can inconvenience yourself, inconvenience yourself and do 15 years, it's more practical because odds are the longer you keep the loan, the more risk you are the default, depending on how good this loan is or how mm-hmm. bad it is or how bad your credit is. A lot of things can go wrong in 30 years, like a lot of things. We just went through a pandemic. No one saw. You can't tell me you can predict what's going to happen for three decades. No. If you can get it out in 15, great hell. If you can get out on 10, if you can pay it off flat, just get out of it. But we got to stop this mindset. It's not just with loans. People say that about luxury cars. Let me finance this car. No, buy that shit for $70,000 if you got it. Y'all want to flex on the timeline? Buy the shit outright. It's already a depreciating asset. Buy it outright and get the hell away from it. That's a bar. It's already depreciating (laughs) in value. You might as well. Make sure that you don't pay extra, pay interest on a depreciating Ooh, asset. Charles, they be in hell. I'll be like, bro. <laughs> Folks too hell? smart, man. They too smart that they dumb. Like, why would I OPM, uh, dude? I could just invest it. But do you like, and that's the thing is a low interest rate and a large amount of money is still a lot of amount of, uh, still a lot of mm. money. So if you finance a half million dollars in it and they give you a low interest rate, 4,000, 4%, that's still $20,000 a year on interest. Mm-hmm. 20 grand a year on interest. That's $2,000 a month, approximately 1800 if we're, you know, and so you're paying and that doesn't even go towards the principal. You're just paying to exist. That's rent at that point. So just paying to exist. Ooh. And on that point, on that note, uh, Jamal, you had a tweet where you said, I'm not here. I, I kind of cut it down a little bit, but you said, I'm not here to flex, but to educate. Yes. Because people always, hey, I think Charles asked me this a couple of years ago because we were in the middle of like what I like to call guru hell. He was like, all these people <laughs> talking on the timeline, you know, and I didn't, you'd have made real people money. This is when we were running the marketing club. He was like, you'd have made real people money. Why do you never, you know, tweet about that a lot? I was like, Charles, I'm not in competition with these people. Like how many people have you, have the three of us seen in the last year who were posting screenshots who turned out to be fraud? Y'all got to be freed from the demon that if people ain't flexing on you, if they ain't showing you that they in Louie and Gucci and showing, I, I'm not showing you motherfuckers my bank account. Trust me, I'm living good. Living life. You hear me? And if you, you can take my advice if you want, still do your own due diligence, but I'm not flexing for you because I want you to get the substance, not the flesh. Yeah. Because it, if, if you're listening to me because I'm showing you, uh, $50,000 here, that means I got to show you every time. Ew, you're not going to get the tweet or you're not going to get the reference. Like, no, it needs to be about substance. I understand people don't listen to certain people unless they sh- you know, show the work. That's their own fault. But maybe that's not your, maybe that's not your community. It should be sound, rational advice. And because someone was in my tweets, was in my DMs and was like, yo, well, why don't you, you know, post your accounts. Who are you? Like the people who I really know, like Charles know my work, like Lance know my work, like like the people who've worked with me know my work. I got clients who I consulted with on the timeline who shot out tweets after I've made them money. I don't need to prove it to y'all. If y'all missed it, I'm sure you missed this train. Catch the next one. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Uh, I want to talk about this spaces thing. You've been pretty active in Twitter spaces. Yeah. Some of some very interesting rooms. Wait, before you go in, let's I want y'all to know 
some of these rooms are not my rooms. Some of my friends don't know how to work spaces. So I'm in there technically hosting. It's not uh, my space. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. I get yeah, the alerts almost every day. Like Jamal is hosting. Do y'all, do y'all go in there? When y'all go in, like when you go in a room, do they give you alert for just walking into the room? No, I, I don't know. No, I'm saying Twitter would it just send this. me an alert. I'm not even on Twitter, and like my phone gets an alert saying that you you're going live on Spaces. No, that got be they people do this. giving me that got be people giving me mics as soon as I walk in the room. They Sometimes also I'm do this thing. They do this thing where um, if you're on the timeline, it'll have like a purple circle around your your avatar. Uh, so as you're tweeting, you can see that they're actively in somebody's space, and you can actually click on the avatar; it'll take you to that space. And so, like, that's why I be careful about what space I'm in, because I don't want people to be like, this dude's listening to what? They can see what you're <laughs> listening to now. So I'm like, bruh. So do you like spaces better than Clubhouse? It's six of one and half a dozen of another. If you don't know that old expression, it's the same beast. Um, they're both very toxic in different ways. Club, <laughs> Clubhouse nice. had, this, had this toxicity of when the black people on, on spaces I mean, on Clubhouse started getting traction. It's like their rooms didn't pop up on the timeline. So that became a big thing. Twitter has the opposite effect that all black people dominate Twitter. But the topics are very, it's clickbait. Some of them rooms y'all think I end up in, I end up in because the title says one thing. I go in there and try to listen for a second. It's something else. And they didn't change the title since I went in the room. Spaces is more open. I feel like it's more authentic. Clubhouse was a resume rundown. It was like auto LinkedIn. Every time somebody got a mic, thank you for allowing me to be, you know, the founder, the chairman, the CEO. I, I went to space, found a new galaxy and came back like, what the hell, bro? Like what? Twitter's more like we talking about the same stuff, but it was a it was a rum this morning that I felt like blew my mind. It was like uh, niggas is pick me. Can I say niggas on this podcast? This ain't the professional yeah. one, right? OK, <laughs> niggas is pick me. I went in there. And it was a bunch of single people having the same conversation that's been going on for five years. Men ain't applying enough pressure. Niggas always showing off for their homeboys. Y'all dating the wrong men. I ain't never seen so many single people have marriage advice in my life. Mm. We got we to stop that. Not just about in regards to the, the relationship. We got to stop being experts on things we've never done. Mm. You can't Ooh. be giving people. I see a lot of people be, People uh, uh, comment on the people's tweets talking about money, talking about, you know, I've read in this article. If you do this, the money will mo- have you multiplied the money. You telling somebody else what you read in financial times. If you haven't enacted it, what the hell are you talking about? You talking about yeah. philosophy and ideology at this point. <laughs> One of the things that, uh, yeah, I have a tweet that's in my mental drafts and it's basically like the only people who are going to actively criticize your marriage are either the unmarried or the unhappily married. Because I found that it's it. People who are in it know this shit ain't sweet, man. It's an everyday struggle. I saw living rent free, put a tweet out and it said, Hey, I'm trying to, it said, I'm trying to have a marriage like Petway Estates. And I don't know who controls the, the page, but she was like, you don't want these problems. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that And they tweet. look like the model couple, like, bro, like they rich, they travel, they got two kids. It's a grind, man. And I felt I feel like sometimes people, when they get into it and they see the grind that it consists of, they'd be like, I'm not trying to do that kind of work. I'm not trying to do that kind of work. And then as you have kids, it changes. But what I found is more so when the kid gets older, when the kid is a baby, it's still kind of the same. It's just y'all two. When the baby grows up, 
Things change. You just got to change with your relationship's going to change. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, though, about those spaces is it seems like the women kind of have a monopoly over what gets said and what's allowed to get said. And they just be shutting folks down like no, no resolution ever gets made. They come in and they, they're like, we want to hear from the men. What do the men got to say? And it's like, no, that ain't true. What you talking about? I need a man that's going to do boom, 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 boom. I, I think to your point, and I think I, I, I've built my credibility because I take shots along uh, uh, heavy for defending black men. I think it's this notion that black women are unhold accountable. Like you can't hold a black woman accountable. She has suffered. She dies during childbirth. Granny was oppressed by grandfather, even though that's not everybody's family story, but that's another day. You can't talk about because black women and them manipulating this tweet, black women are the most unprotected demographic in the world. Say the rest of the fucking quote, because that's not all he was talking about. So it's like men can't say anything. That's why I generally <laughs> I'm kind of laid off the rims. Like if you want to catch yeah. me going off, I'll, I'll go off on my tweets. But the rooms are so monopolized because people are starting rooms to fit their narrative. Mm -hmm. It's like, if it doesn't fit the narrative, they don't want to hear it. Even though they say, Oh, we open, we trying to learn. No, you're trying to persuade people to get to where you at. Yo, it's the options trading workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 inside money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Yeah, you said, where is this tweet? It said something about, ah, uh, don't skip me, Raphael. Hold on. <laughs> you said, where's the tweet? Y'all don't get tired of making these spaces to discuss <laughs> Kevin Samuels. The mental right. illness of constantly discussing things y'all claim not to like. There's more productive things to do with your time. Charles, they was in there doing it again. They was talking about, <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna take offense to this as a dude who grew up with uh with mostly fem, uh, females in my family. Father wasn't around. My uncles and them who were running drugs through Baltimore. They're 20 years in jail. Blah blah blah. So I I am a proud metrosexual. And I say that I have things where, where women would consider that to be feminine, but. Most people would know that I can turn very aggressive and overly violent, which then women will say, oh, we scared of black men. But my point is this. They try to discredit Kevin Samuels because he's well groomed. They don't like the way he talk. He doesn't talk, you know, rough around his edges. And my whole point was we've been on this man since the pandemic. We 18 months into this three years prior to that, when he was raking black men through the cold, y'all couldn't give a damn. But he made one black woman feel humble. And now it's about toxic masculinity. And I find it very and this is the thing that really set me off about them. They were in there saying, oh, I, I find it crazy that a man with two failed marriages going to tell us how to um, uh, succeed in relationships. Y'all listen to failed entrepreneurs every day on a goddamn timeline. People who, who've had houses repossessed. People who've had bad credit and worked them ways out of that. Y'all listen to them all the time. But when it's something you don't like, all of a sudden he's incredible. So that's the whole like, thing about it. I feel like something happened in the African-American community where, and I, I was thinking about that this morning, I had a tweet and the tweet was about those dudes who ran in the house and there was a dude in there 
And basically my two was like, see what happens when you actually keep a man around for things outside of just money. And they're like, oh, so dumb. Delete this. I can't believe you said that. And it's because it challenges this ego that's been fed to women for some reason where now I guess they saw or what they perceived to be seen as a bunch of powerless women, which in fact, I don't think the feminist movement was about black women. I think it was about white women. Mm -hmm. And I think that they just used them to get their message across because white black women been working. White women were the women who weren't working. They were in the house kept taken care of. We didn't have enough money to keep the woman at home. She was out there working with us. She was out there working multiple jobs. She was out there slave in the fields. Slavery went until 18. I'm not going to say 18. Was it, was it 1860? 1865. Yeah. So slavery went until 1865. You have another hundred years. But in those hundred years, she was out there working too. She wasn't just chilling. It wasn't vacation time. So anyway, my point is, is that we've been brainwashed. We've been bamboozled. We've been led astray. And I think that it's creating this chasm between black men and black women where people have their heels in the ground. And they're just stuck in their ways. And you had a tweet and it was talking about obedience. And you said that obedience. Oh, the one I did. You know what Yeah. Do you know what it said? Yeah, I did. Give me one second. I got you. (laughs) That that was the one I did. uh, Because it was a reference to God, but it was also about obedience. And I know exactly the one that you're talking about. It says obedience means doing whatever God asks without reservation or hesitation. You don't procrastinate and say, I'll pray about it. You do it without delay. Every every parent knows that delayed obedience is really disobedience. And so this is going to sound crazy, but what I've found and what helps keep me grounded in my marriage is I don't see my marriage as necessarily serving her completely. It's also doing what's required of me by God. And when I read that, I actually I saw submission. And what I believe is submission means doing whatever God asks, whatever the Bible tells you wives submit to your husband. He doesn't say wives submit to your husband unless if he provides, if he does these things, if he's balling and slanging, if he's six feet tall, like that's not what the Bible says. And so the reason why I think we come to these standstills is because it shouldn't be no back and forth. It should, and this is going to sound crazy, but it should be that I'm the man. This is the decision that I decided. And this is what we're rolling with. And this is what I view the world as. And we going. But I feel like the reason why we don't make any progress is because men say something and then women be like, well, I think in the blah, 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 and nothing gets done. And people who can't agree, you can't walk together unless you be agreed. And so then people just be out there single and mingling and doing whatever they got to do, smashing and dashing, getting dates. And just maybe we have this relationships that are super shallow because and it's not a bad thing. I tell people that like if I t- if I say submit, if I say obey, if I say all these different things, people are like, well, I got to obey you. Why I got to submit? You want me to pay all your damn bills? You want me to make sure sh- you want me to open the door for me to do all these other things? Like there are things that come with that. It's not just take, take, take. You make a valid point, but it's not just the the women. It's also the men. I, I was on a space, <laughs> a space and kind of came up about this. And I made a reference to to Charles point about the Bible. I tell people often, and I know this sounds crazy to some people because I have a daughter and I don't have, yeah, I have a wife. Let me make this very clear. I love my daughter. She is the light of my world and everything, but she will come second to my wife, plain and simple, point blank, period. The Bible says the husband and wife comes, become one. Like my wife is my priority. Now, I think people 
in their twisted, convoluted way, of course, where they do everything in the Bible, they hear the spouse comes first and all of a sudden you're mistreating the kids, they're abused <laughs> and all this other nonsense. Who said that? Mm-hmm. Those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. My wife can be first and my kids well taken care of. They do not have to be separate things. And people do this thing with the Bible because one well, it's the white man's God or something like they like to pick and choose what they like. Women love to say the Bible says a man provides and protects. That's not all that shit say. Open open a couple other books and I can give you some references about what y'all supposed to do that you conveniently forget. And I'm going to stand on that. Not saying I'm perfect, but you want me to provide fine. My word is law. After we discuss, I'll hear your opinion. You're an intelligent black woman. I'll hear your views. But when I come to a consensus, you better walk lock and step with me on. Um, I have a problem with the providing concept because I, I don't know if that's in the Bible. What I've seen is a man provides for his his children and their wife is their helpmate. So the way I interpret it is I think that men and women do this life together. She's your helpmate. It's not like she's your, I'm a chill and let you do everything. Mate. Like they don't want to help fam. They think that it's just like you go out there and you do it all. And I, I was, I was watching tone talks. I don't watch tone talks often, but when he talks about relationships, I do because his opinions at, excuse me, as they relate to like the actual condition of a lot of black men is relevant. And he was talking about how women think that dating black men is dating down as if they're coming from something. When a lot of times we in the same <laughs> spot, Raphael, get that on a shirt. Get that on a shirt. <laughs> and and then also it's Ooh. like even even if he might be making less than you, whatever he brings is still more than what you had before. And so we're dismissing people who are in whatever situation, not realizing that that can change. And it's unhealthy, man. And they've done it through marketing. They've done like that was their agenda. We don't realize we got played. You got tricked into thinking you don't need a man because you got played. That's not a win. You're out there doing things by yourself. And a lot of folks who appear to be doing things by themselves, their parents are subsidizing their entire lifestyle or the government is subsidizing their entire lifestyle or a bunch of other dudes because they're out there throwing the pussy, whoever pay that person subsidizing their lifestyle. They got to get it from multiple men. They got a whole wardrobe (laughs) that's pieced together by different dudes. Like that's not healthy, man. That's not healthy. And it's like, we don't need the stuff. You know, I subscribe to I'm big on 50 50. I know 50 50 Twitter is not I might be a member of one, but I'm big on 50 50. You have to be <laughs> no brother. You have to be in this marriage with me because y'all know I know statistics. The marriage divorce rate is too high for black men to be financially vulnerable individually in these marriages. I'm not saying it ain't even got to be 50-50. Maybe y'all do 60-40, whatever. But if this marriage ends, bro, you can't be the only one leaving in a financial ruin. Especially mm. when people, when they out here talking, black women literally tell you, oh, we got options. We don't need black men. Yo, don't put yourself in that position where if this marriage ends, you financially screwed up and got to pay palimony and child support and alimony. And you the, got kids. Nah, you better go to hell. You better get 50-50 on this. <laughs> and and the thing is, is like it, my problem with the whole 50 50 thing is this. If let's say I allocated, I don't know if this is a good example, but if you're making $75,000 and she's making $75,000 and you give what you got, you guys have $75,000 worth of lifestyle. If it's 50 50, then you give $75,000 and she gets $75,000. Now you got $150,000 worth of lifestyle. And so for me, 
a big part of the reason why I've been able to have a relatively decent life is because my parents did this thing where my parents got married, they got divorced, and my mom remarried, and she remarried somebody who was crushing it, and then she was crushing it. And so we got to experience a lifestyle of two people crushing it and two people contributing. It wasn't one person carrying the whole load and one person just kind of plodding by, kind of doing, because it's, it's like like Erica says, it's not that deep, it's just math. Mm-hmm. What's more, 150 or 75? I don't care, you think you're doing the most, you make six figures, what's more? $100,000 or $175,000. In the relationships that you see doing well, the ones in the timeline, it is the 50-50 stuff. The people that you see not willing to do anything also don't have a mate because not too many dudes signing up for that shit. Woo! Dudes aren't lining up to just take care of you. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Yo, get this man a shirt, Robert. He's in bars. Because me and him saw the same tweet earlier, uh, earlier today. It was um my man's, what's his name? But he was talking about how he told his wife, let's delay. Let's get this debt under control. And then I will take you anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. She made the sacrifice with him. It wasn't no, oh, a man should come to me already together. If you ain't got six figures, you shouldn't be dating. What the fuck? You mean to tell me, me, out of the ghetto streets of Baltimore, went to college on my own, was in those financial analysis classes getting B's, sometimes getting C's, shooting in a gym alone. You mean to tell me I did all that by myself? You want to tell me you coming and I got to take care of you? What? (laughs) I guarantee you that your life will be enhanced if you partner with somebody. You're not losing anything. If anything, you're gaining. We always talk about it. One plus one equals like five. Mm -hmm. So you come together and you you like, because marriage is going to allow you to grow if you absorb yourself in that marriage. Sometimes people be married, have one foot in, one foot out, one foot in their family, one foot in the family that they're building. And you can't do that. And I think that's why, especially with the right dude, you should be willing to submit to that mindset because women be doing stuff that sometimes don't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why they need men. Women need men, but they just be out here thinking they don't. And that's why a lot of them go out there And the first few years of their life, they spend making babies with a bunch of bad dudes. And then they want somebody to come and save them. But if you just listen to the man, then you'd be all right. And it's not just because, you know, they're going to go deaf ear if we just say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them an analysis where uh, Charles and I have seen it. I'm sure Raphael's seen it too. I've seen more success with people who come to me for entrepreneurial consultations and advice. I've seen more success from people who partner with someone, not just even to make, just getting a business partner than someone trying to do it alone. It, it's it's that constant phrase. Like, would you rather have 100% of a $10,000 business or 50% of a million dollar business? Like yeah. split the work because that collaboration can work because the two of you are not different where the wife is strong, the husband's weak, where the husband is strong, the wife is weak and you together make a more powerful, productive unit as opposed to you making me carry the bricks, the lumber, the nails, the hammer, and you just walking beside me like, what the hell? Yeah. I, I would say, first off, this tweet talk is not in any way bashing black women. So don't take don't take criticism as a means of bashing. No, like, let's call it criticism. accountability. Hate the word right. criticism. Call it accountability. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody trying to like hate on you and tell you that you can't have the life that you want. We're actually trying to give you the life that you want. I when I got married, the pastor, he used he what he said. And I was over here thinking, like, I'm the man, marriage, marriage. And he his like scripture was wives and husbands submit one to another. 
And I was like, what you mean I got to submit? I thought I thought her, she's supposed to submit. <laughs> and like submission goes both ways. It, it so really does. It really you does. You submit to her and she submits to you. But what I found is none of us are submitting to either of us. It's just a bunch of folks just like clashing and never agreeing and therefore never accomplishing anything. The power structure of the African-American community is the African-American family. So if we got people out here thinking that a Louis bag is more important than a actual individual or Benz is more important. And if you can't give her those things, you ain't worth nothing. That's a problem. Because when you get that stuff, you realize it really ain't that dope. I bought my wife a Louis carry all maybe three, four years ago. And that's like, it's not even a dope bag anymore. And it's like, you out here dismissing dudes who can't do those things for your whole person because he can't buy you something that's going to get dusty on it. We as people have so much value that is more than just the stuff that we can buy. We have people have more value than just the dates that we can go on. Just having that connection with another human being, having that partner, having the people that you can just go through life with, like it's so invaluable and we can't limit it to the stuff that these companies are just trying to sell us. Cause that's all they're trying to do. They're just trying to sell us on the next car and then the next car. And the advertising is like, you ain't shit. If you don't got this car, you ain't shit. If you don't got this bag, you ain't shit. If you don't got this watch, you're in this constant cycle of trying to prove that you are shit with stuff that they're selling you. I need to use that in my marketing. You ain't shit. If you don't got the options course. (laughs) (laughs) But is it, do you think it's because the very, Here's an interesting dichotomy, like the very platforms that have allowed so, so many of us to become financially free, financially independent, financially viable, is the same platform that is spewing negativity to the community. Social media has elevated some of us to freedom and prosperity, but that same platform spews division in our very community. And I think that we got to really look at it because I saw a, a TikTok and it was saying how the Real Housewives of Atlanta is a large part of what created that whole mindset of you got to buy this and you need to do this, not even provider. Like we've literally, and it was like 10 years of that stuff and it's still on and they had different spinoffs and different versions of it. And it was just telling women how they're supposed to act. Like I'm supposed to be with a baller, man. I'm supposed to be with all these different things. And that's new because a lot of our moms weren't like that. A lot of our moms with mm-hmm. dudes who were younger and they hadn't yet established what they were going to establish. A lot of our parents got married or had kids very young. It wasn't like they waited until their thirties, like we, like we did, thirty-five. Rafael, where the rest of these tweets at, man? Get us to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of touched on this already, Jamal. But you had a tweet where you're saying previous failures don't make don't mean you're not knowledgeable in a space. Yeah, I just in my space, like most people have had failures, me, me included, like I had a startup, Charles did one, uh, took uh, one of my, <laughs> my products he did with my, um, beard, my bed screen, like that failed, but that doesn't mean I, I'm not equipped to give you guys entrepreneurial consulting advice. i clearly, you know, I'm successful in my career. My financial acumen is beyond reproach doesn't mean just because someone's failed, they can't give you advice. And that applies to anything. People are so prone to this whole, if you aren't a massive success, you know, you can't give advice. And I think that's inaccurate because the world's going to get smaller with the way that social media is growing. Like we're going into this metaverse and web three and everything. Everyone's going to have a social brand. No way you think that everyone having a brand is going to have two, three, four million followers. Success, our our definition of success needs to change. Like it needs to be more 
tangible than lofty and out of this world. Like there are successful people who they may not be over, you know, on Forbes magazines, but they could probably teach you how to make a six figure business constantly year after year. Like stop dismissing people because they ain't got 40,000 followers on Twitter or somebody ain't put them on, you know, some big platform. It's not, it's success happens in multiple ways in multiple layers. Stop being one dimensional. What I take from that tweet is it's interesting. And you, and, and you kind of said something similar and uh, it's where you see somebody who maybe is successful or you see somebody who is aspiring to be successful. And then we start looking at their past like, Oh, well, you did this five years ago, you filed bankruptcy 10 years ago. And we use that as a way to kind of disqualify the success that they're achieving now, or as a way to kind of knock them down in their current aspirations towards success. And I think that is a mistake because you do learn when you go through those things. If you build a company and that company doesn't work out, do you think you're going to build the next company exactly how you built that first company? No, you're going to take the lessons and the connections and the processes that didn't work that time, you're going to find a way to do it better. I'm in the process now of getting a builder's license in Michigan. It's about 60 hours of instruction. I paid 200 bucks for this course. And the reason why I'm motivated to do it is because I'm losing money hand over fist because I'm just letting mother efforts just tell me anything because I really don't know. I don't know how to build a house. I was hoping that I just find somebody who was legit, who would do right. And I'm getting ran, but I would not be motivated to actually become an, a licensed builder in GC if I wasn't going through all the mess that I'm going through right now. So sometimes the failures actually inspire you to go higher. Our problem is we don't know a lot of successful people. If we keep it at 100 in the African-American community, we don't know a lot of successful people. I think that that's by design. However, because we don't know a lot of successful people, we think that success is a straight line. We think that there's people out there who are just destined to get it mm. and they just got it, never made a mistake, never made a bad trade, never did a bad flip. And when you actually start studying success, and this is why listening to podcasts, reading biographies, doing things like that, is you start seeing that what Doug Depp did to get to where he is. Prior to social media, prior to podcasts, all you do is see is Doug Depp doing what he's doing now. You'd assume his dad gave him a bunch of money. You'd assume that he just had it all handed to him. Bing, bang, boom. So you wouldn't even try. The thing is, is now we've been able to kind of peek behind the veil. And so you don't have permission to see somebody who's successful and then start poking holes in what they've done in the past. It makes you look very stupid. It makes you look very naive. And it actually is holding back both you and everybody that you're kind of preaching to. Yeah, it's crazy because I saw on Twitter the other day, this guy, um, this guy, hipster finance, somebody, I guess somebody came at him in his DMs or on one of his tweets in his comments and said, bro, you only worth like 400K. How you out here giving people money advice? And I was like, only only worth 400K. <laughs> I almost had, I almost That's told like my some whole, white people shit right there. Yeah, I had to tell. I almost told my whole. I mean, he's a white dude, so it's like <laughs> I only he's almost told dude. my whole business. Like, I was like, first of all, if that's the case, I shouldn't be giving y'all advice. I'm not a millionaire. Like Charles probably has. Charles definitely has more money than me. I'm not. He's just like he's done things. He has more money than me. I'm happy forming all that. Stop. You <laughs> <laughs> making faces, y'all. Doesn't mean. We're just on different levels of success. We're taking, we're taking different paths. He's done things I haven't done. Right. It just doesn't mean that because like success isn't a number. I don't understand that with people. Success is this hard number 
that is just some abstract like that's in and i say this a lot people who are obsessed with money never have enough because numbers are infinite charles and i study finance numbers go on forever i could read a balance sheet my damn numbers go on for all eternity and sometimes you still don't know what they say but (laughs) the point is if money is your obsession there's never enough. If if that man was worth $4 million, that would have been somebody on the timeline saying, how you giving advice and you only worth $4 million? Nigga, I'm not Bill Gates. The fuck? Like $4 million. Like, no. Um, I wrote a few points I want to make sure that I hit. But the first thing is, it's interesting how people can belittle anything. $400,000 is a huge accomplishment. But on the internet, people can downplay. It. And that's why you got to choose yourself and you got to stop taking your cues from other people. Because more than likely, I bet you the person who said that didn't even have $400,000. <laughs> and so it's like you have somebody who doesn't have what you have telling you that you aren't anything because you don't have it or because you do have it, which is broke inward energy. But I would say the last thing that I think is really important, and I was thinking about this this morning, I was listening to Lil Baby. I was trying to stop listening to rap, but I'm going to the Drake concert tomorrow, so I got to m- memorize my lyrics. And... <laughs> Lil Baby said, I got M's in the bank. I give a damn what they think. And I think that lyric is profound. I interpret it this way. And it's, you don't have to have more money than the next person. You just have to have enough for you. And if 400,000 is enough for you, if there's people out there that have 4 million, 10 million, more than likely somebody with more money than you is not belittling what you have because they know what mm. it takes to get to 400 million. Or 400,000. Getting to 400,000 is no easy feat. And so they're going to respect it. It's the person that hasn't yet hit 400, who's likely nowhere near 400, who's going to belittle your 400. And so we have to start qualifying the criticism. You have to start looking at, is this person even on that level? I remember back in the day, not back in the day, but recently, there was a lot of people who would like slide in my DMs when they get mad at me and they'd be like, well, that's why Chris got more money than you. Damn. I was like, that's the, the gayest thing I've ever heard. I was like, who's who brags about somebody else's money to somebody else? <laughs> that's like, that's why LeBron's penis is bigger than your penis. Like, bro, like, <laughs> what? Why are you talking about LeBron's penis? Why are you talking about another man's money? That's why I don't like the pocket watching show. I was thinking about that too. I was like, this dude really has a show doing something that you're not supposed to do. Like, who watches other people's pockets? Like, you're not supposed to be like a pocket watcher. So anyway, I just think that that's interesting. And these folks lame on these Twitter. You can create a Twitter and say anything you want, which brings me to yeah. a point that I was going to ask about. I was going to ask Jamal because he had a tweet and he was saying, like, just because I block you doesn't mean that you hit a nerve. He's like, we're just out here promoting our value. I'm paraphrasing. We're promoting our value and your distracting comments are more annoying than anything. So I got to get you out of here. It- <laughs> and again, Charles can relate. Charles has more followers than me, so I'm sure he gets more annoyed than I do. I'm only at a measly 7,000. He had like 25 something, like 30, like it's different. But even at my small, my need, I go viral a lot, annoyingly too much. And it be people in my DMs or in my comments projecting every demon ever done them. And when I'm out here trying to educate the culture, one thing for sure, two things for certain, people know I'm about my black people. When I am educating the culture, please do not be in my DMs or not not the DMs, the mentions being asinine. I don't bother. And what really pisses me off, I don't bother people, meaning I don't go on other people's tweets and try to project my thoughts. I got my own damn Twitter. I got my own timeline. I can say what I want in my own tweets 
and leave it there. Don't come into my mentions with your nonsense because I'm a blocky. Charles, no, a few days, uh, a few years ago when I was still in college, old Leo Grand Prince, my old Twitter, I would have fired your ass up. But now I got a daughter. I've matured. My money hitting a little different. I ain't got the patience. So I'll be out, <laughs> I'll be out of it. I'll be like, I'm just going to block you. I, got, I, I cannot stand it. And it's like, it's to Charles' point. It is the most unqualified, unproductive, on Twitter all day, not actually doing anything because there's nothing wrong with being on Twitter all day if you're doing something. But on Twitter all day, bitching and moaning about the government, about your job not paying you enough, about niggas ain't shit, bitches and hoes. But that's all you do. You're not out here starting anything. You're not in the niches. You ain't in the trenches. You're not adding any value to the community. But this distracting ass dialogue. And I'd be tired of it. Yeah, mm. it's uh, the community is weird, man, because that's that's one of the things that I used to see a lot is people would hate and they would say stuff. And I was like, but you ain't creating nothing. So you're criticizing a creator, but you aren't actually even adding value to do the thing that you say that I'm not doing <laughs> or think I'm not doing well. So I could definitely respect the block. I'd be getting folks out the paint. And mostly it's just because Twitter, Twitter is a cool place. And I realize why Twitter is important and why you would maybe leave a space to then have that conversation on the timeline, because on the timeline, you're not having somebody cut you off every other sentence to disagree with a sentence within a paragraph. You're not having somebody debate something that has nothing to do with the main point on Twitter. You can just get it all out. They can say what they got to say, but at least you got a chance to get it out in person. A lot of times you can't even finish your thought. And that's why I think Twitter is so powerful. And it's, it's, it's weird how sometimes it's powerful, but it's a shifting narrative. There was this dumb thing early to like, this is where you sometimes got to re- revert from blocking people. Like apparently Beyonce dressed up for Jay-Z's birthday or something like that. And I made a tweet about, <laughs> I retweeted it. I'm like, please don't dress up for my day. For my accomplishment, <laughs> for my achievement, for my promotion. Girls are like, what that mean? Blah, blah. Long story short, she made a tweet saying, um, is giving men be jealous of women. So wait a minute. On my birthday, the one day out of the 365 days out of the year, I'm jealous of you trying to outshine me who the day is about. Yeah. Make that make sense. <laughs> like, it's just a weird and powerful place where people can make any narrative make sense, which is yeah. a dangerous thing because there's a section of Twitter that makes no sense, but they got their, they got their minions. They got their army. They, they just <laughs> <laughs> <The> minions. <laughs> Todd Consultant presents the vending machine business webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. So, Charles... Can you guys hear me? What the heck? Yeah, we can hear you, man. All right. I'm looking you at had, you had a tweet. I mean, you had a tweet. It looks like you were quoting from, I'm not sure if it was Rich Dad. You said true capitalists use their financial knowledge to simply find escape. You also put up one. If you work for money, you give the power to your employer. If money works for you, you keep the power and control it. Man, that second quote is one of my favorite quotes. It's interesting how when you first see something in a book, it's insightful. 
And then the second or third time you see it, it's like a reminder of what you saw once and what you've kind of adopted. And when I saw that the first time, I was like, bruh, that makes too much sense. If I work for you, now you're in control of whether I eat, whether I get a promotion, whether I travel, whether I get more money. And I don't like that. But then if you have your money work for you, you live where you want to live, you drive where you want to drive, all that stuff. You just got to make your money work for you. But what does that look like? It's not just investing in the stock market, although it's been a great week in the stock market, man. Uh, so it's also the Turo. The Turo be spinning, fam. I got it. My Turo go out in a day or so. I got to get that thing situated. I get checks from Turo. I get checks from the truck. I get checks from the vending machines. Well, the vending machines is a collaborative effort, but I really like the stuff that is I own by myself. It's a beautiful thing. The partnership was cool to get started, but I enjoy the things that I own because honestly, sometimes working for partners can feel like you have a job as well. So I would just say that um, that's the thought is that the other is I think it's super powerful. And the reason why I tweeted and I share it is everyone thinks that they can pin the rich down. Everyone thinks they can tax the rich. Everyone thinks that they can punish rich people for being successful and it never works. It's better to just become successful yourself instead of trying to hate on somebody else and pull them down, rich people are just going to find a way. So we most recently saw Facebook is leaving California if they haven't already left. Tesla's been gone. Toyota's been gone. A lot of these companies, these tech companies are just going to Austin, Texas. They're not even starting in California anymore. They're like, nah, we, we're going to go ahead and bypass the whole California thing and go right on down to Austin. Because rich people aren't bitches. Rich people are bosses. Rich people don't just take what life throws at them. We all get dealt the same hands. The difference is, are you going to boss up? Are you going to be a bitch? Are you going to just lay on the couch and whine and cry and complain? An example is I saw, I posted this video of the dude who lived in Atlanta and was working on creating a ring video camera security determined for cars in Atlanta because they had all these break-ins. And I thought that was interesting because where wealthy people see opportunity, other people see just problems. They're like, oh my God, it's terrible to live out here. It's the crime. We need to vote for Joe Biden. And then it's like, they think the voting is going to solve their problems. There is a most recent podcast where Dave was interviewing this white dude. And the white dude was saying that everything that we need to be changed can be changed through business and private industry. Everything. If you want better schools, create them. If you want better roads, create them. If you want all these things, if you go to wealthy communities in Southern California, it's all privatized. The public shit is the lesser shit. It's like public transportation. You don't want public transportation. You want private transportation. You don't want all these public benefits. You want private benefits. I don't want public retirement. Public retirement is bullshit. I don't want public health insurance. I want my own health insurance because that's the elite stuff. We have to, we have to relate that to everything. Private solutions. We create our own solutions. That's why China's a superpower because they do everything in their own and they're not out there being pimped by whoever wants to just ramp up the cost. And that's why I'm going to become my own GC because I'm not going to be pimped by somebody else. Or at least I can become a better investor. And now I'm policing everything they're doing more. I can draw invoices. I can do all these different things. And so I sell that to say that we have to adopt that approach. We have to solve the problems. If we see the problem, it's not a voting issue. We vote and we don't get shit. It's not a voting issue anymore. We got to just start solving problems with action. Bosses, not bitches. <laughs> he got like 12 t-shirts today. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's interesting. Charles was talking about privatization and that is very true. Nothing in this country has ever been advanced 
in public spheres. The government does not spearhead progress. It does not happen. It is not. The government didn't cause the Industrial Revolution. Businessmen did that. The technology age. The government ain't start the Internet. People did that on their own at their own cost. And I think the problem with a lot, and we talk about this a lot, people don't want it goes to Joseph's point. I always talking about get started, get fancy later. People don't want to take the risk. You don't want to take the onus. You don't want to take the ownership. You don't want to take, in some instances, you don't want to take the blame or the, the glory. Like you want the glory, but you don't want the blame. You, you don't want to start this because if it goes great, good. But what if it fails? What if they say, I tried this and it didn't happen? So what? So what? And that happens in our community a lot because people don't want to, we talk about the education. We've been talking about this damn education system for 50 years. Y'all ain't start a goddamn charter school. No goddamn way. Still talking about city hall, the uh, school board in a, a public school. Them motherfuckers don't give a damn. Your kids still learning outdated shit from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, seriously, you know who you wonder why them white kids in Silicon Valley getting two hundred thousand dollar cup because their parents made sure them fucking private schools educated them on STEMs. Your kids in there still learning basic ass math, history that ain't even fucking history as whitewashed as history. Then you wondering why your kid can't get a job, motherfucker. Get on the school board or something. Revolutionize it. Privatize the schools. Y'all la- y'all laugh at Umar all the time about these private schools. At least he out there trying some shit. Y'all ain't tried the motherfucking thing. Mm. Okay, <laughs> I think that that is it's important, but let's let's continue to fight through these tweets because I could definitely respond to that. I think that, um, yeah, we got to solve our own problems. We've been taught to be lazy. I think alcohol is one way that we become lazy. Alcohol will slow you the hell down, fam. You ever got home, knew you were going to be productive, started drinking and just like nothing got done. No, that's that cheap shit, Charles. I don't drink that in the sky. That'd be happening that cheap to me. Shit. So you- <laughs> That'd be happening to me. I don't. I lose all productivity when I be drunk. What you over there drinking? Let me send you a bottle of like Glenn Levitt or something because I don't know what you drinking slowing you. I don't. I don't drink anymore, man. I'm off of alcohol. Oh man, I'm off of alcohol. They ain't gonna get me. Come on, Robert. What you so, got, Jamal? You said stop requiring your physical presence for you to make money. Yeah, actually, one, I can't take care of it for that because I think Charles might have said this shit some months ago and it just kind of redirected in my head. I saw it. I saw it. But I <laughs> like proud so, people being, you know. Yeah, but I ain't going to never take credit for a tweet that ain't my original. Thought. That's definitely one probably from Charles that I was just thinking about it. But I was saying it from the standpoint that I wasn't saying because everybody knows I love corporate America. I, I like the environment. There's nothing wrong with it on my end. So I'm cool. But. I meant it in a broad aspect, like don't for these business investments and all that, don't require your presence to make money. Like if you're going to be a partner in a deal, get in there, whether it be equity or intellectual property and get in there in the beginning. But after a while, you shouldn't have to show up. I shouldn't have to come to these board meetings. I don't want to come to the quarterly report. Send me my damn dividend check and call it a day. I'm done with this. Like Charles started the, the real estate group. It was some people we ain't did nothing but sent checks. That's all they did. They was making money to send them a check. That was it. I what they wasn't physically in Michigan. They weren't physically in whatever state y'all had um houses in Charles. California sometimes. Just, just Michigan. Like they weren't physically there. 
But the return on that investment didn't require their physical presence. It required Charles ass to be on a plane in Michigan sometimes, but they, <laughs> they ain't have to go. Um, it's the same. It's it the same thing. Think about it in the terms of the stock market. Y'all asses ain't physically on this stock market. You're in them brokerage thing. You, you put the money in the market, go about your business. So stop in the technology age where we're about to go to a new, we're about to enter a new technological revolution. And we've already seen it in other atmospheres. And I see people all the time thinking that they want to watch their money. Like when they put their, their money in something, oh, I want to go to every meeting. I want No, make sure the contract is ironclad and get your ass out of the way. Like call me in three years when we cash in the fuck out. Otherwise, like, bye. Like I can't be here. Like I got other stuff to do. Charles has vending machines. That man make money whether he had that vending machine every day or not. Now he goes to restock it once or twice a week or every other week, but physically he's not there. The vending machine is there. That automated system is doing the work. That's the type of thing that people need to think. We, the three of us are on a computer right now, like sell sponsorships to this podcast. Y'all making money without physically being wherever the hell the podcast was supposed to be. People <laughs> need to think outside of the box and this whole, for this to be the most technological age and generation, some of them are still stuck in that brick and mortar 1980s mindset. And that's why they can't get ahead. Yeah. Mm. Um, the rich don't work for money. It's as simple as that. You can't make money if you have to actually do the work. The reason why the options course was able to make so much money is because I had to do nothing, nothing, no responding to emails, no responding to DMs, no sending emails, no nothing. All I had to do was market and I should have outsourced that. And that's how you make money because there is a finite amount of hours in your life. I really am curious. I'm going to do the math very quick because I'm curious. Let's say you live to be 90 years old. People are living a lot of time, like 90, a, lot, uh, a long time these years, these days. 90 times what? 365 equals times 24. 70, 788,000 hours. You're not going to work all those hours because you have to have 18 years. You have to have some retirement. So you're probably going to retire for like 18 years. And you're going to live and you're going to be in school for 18 years. So we got to dock 36 off of those years, 36. So we're going to do this math again, 90 minus 36 times 365 days times um, 24. That leaves you 473. Now we're not including weekends or holidays either. So nevertheless, let's just say you made $30 per each of those hours, which still isn't even true because you're really only working eight hours of those days. The math ain't, is not mathing. No matter how hard you work, you can't make a million dollars, which means there's certain things you can never buy. You can't buy a million dollar watch and they sell million dollar watches. So we got to figure out how to do things to get million dollar watches. And that's what those of us do. And that's why it's important to establish that vision, to go see things and try things on and experience things. Because if you know that it exists and you know that what you're doing ain't going to get you to what exists, you need to change what you're doing. It's that simple. That's what a business is supposed to be. A business is a system where you put things in place that run without you, that allow you to make enormous levels of wealth and not feel bad about it. Mm. And Charles, speaking of the um, Detroit homes, you said my stocks are up 70K this week. And you think I'm about to let you make my life hell for 200 a month in Detroit or charging mm. tens of thousands of dollars? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I hear I hear his tweets in my vo- in his voice every time. I had a I had court this morning, man, and um, it was over some nonsense. They they escalated an issue like so high, it just didn't make any sense. 
And the house, I bought it for 20K last year. It's maybe worth like 30K now. Probably worth more since I put some work into it. But let's just say it's worth 30K. And that's a $10,000 on the year. Back in the day, I'd have been happy about $10,000. Now, not so much. And that's just on appreciation. But let's say I do finish this house and I get it rented out. And now it's generating 800 bucks a month. After expenses, I'm making 200 bucks a month. Back in the day when I had a job, I'd have been happy about an extra 200 bucks a month. Now, if I make 200 bucks in a day, I'm be pissed. And so I realized, and the stock's been stocking. The stock's been stocking like crazy, man. I realized that I don't, like I said, once you start getting big checks, you don't want small checks anymore, especially small checks to come with big ass headaches. Having to go to court for something over $10,000, like you serious? Something that costs, maybe it's going to make me, that doesn't make any sense. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of everything. I have to only do activities that are going to make $100,000 a month, if not more. That's what my energy has to be at. Not because I might be generating that much, but because I have the potential to generate that much. I've generated that much in the past. And so anything that doesn't look like that has to flee. It has to go away from me. I can't engage in anything that is not doing that level. It's You feel like you're chopping off a leg or you're holding yourself back when you have something that can make what this thing will make in a whole month. I don't got to an answer to nobody. I don't got no white people telling me I got to get an agent. I got to get an inspection. I got to get all these different permits. I got to get another inspection. And then I'm like, for what? Jump through all these hoops for $200? I'd rather just sell the house and just focus on the stuff that makes big bread. It just doesn't make any sense. And so that's just where I'm at. It just doesn't make financial sense at this point to do something that's minimum wage when I have the opportunity to make maximum wages and to revitalize that whole business, create landing pages, go to masterminds, do different things that are going to allow me to make the big money as opposed to making the small money. And that's the that's why you want to get away from the job and you want to get away from all those different things so you can stop working on small stuff. And Jamal, you said my million dollar plus clients are always the calm ones. It's always the 500K client flipping their way over the smallest moves. Bro, bro, y'all will not, my, my book of business, like it's always the clients. Y'all seen the markets like September, for example, September was choppy. Market goes down maybe two, 3% in one day. Don't hear a peep from the $5 million clients. They ain't going to say a word. Hell, half the time you can't even get in contact with them. They like, y'all will not believe it is hard as you be having people's money. It is hard as hell to get in contact with these people. I got your money. Like, wouldn't you think you would pick up the phone when I call you? The five hundred dollar, the five hundred thousand dollar client. And I'm not saying because I know Charles and I talked about four hundred thousand earlier. I'm not saying this is a small amount of money, but in the grand scheme of thing, if your time horizon is 10, 15 years from now, don't call me about a 5% down day in 2021. It does not matter. Any money that you need within the, the 12 month range, we've already set it aside. If we haven't set it aside, you made the mistake of not telling me you was about to make a major purchase. That's on your own. But any money you don't need 13 months and out, I don't care what the Dow did today. I don't care. Like, okay, it went down. My forecast is we in a late stage bull market. You got another 12 to 18 months before I even want to talk about corrections or anything sustainable. Don't call me about this. Now, if you want to call and say, hey, the Fed is threatening to, you know, high interest rate in three months. We can talk about that. We can talk about some nonsense about that. But I don't want to hear about selling pressures of people selling in December. The market goes through cycles every year. I, if you look back at my tweets long enough, you will see me in August tell y'all 
September going to be choppy. I ain't trying to brag. I'm not trying to say I'm an oracle, but I know stock markets. One thing I do, I know financial markets and I know these shits do the same thing every year. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about it. Like, I expect you to take a vacation during Labor Day month. That's not talking about it. When these earn at the end of this month, be going into earnings, it's probably going to be a choppy again. But all that to say is it's the it's the clients with the most money with you who talk to you the least. And it's the clients like to Charles's point who have the least amount of money who and sometimes you got to do in, in business what's called divesting. Like at a certain point, GE got so big and so massive as a conglomerate. Some of their divisions were costing more money to run than bringing in profit. I just they had to sell shit off. It was like they sold their financial arm. They sold something else. It was like, bro, it's costing us way too much money to maintain this than to bring money in. And you'll see that companies get to a point where it's like, it's just too much. Like it's not even making us enough money for the nonsense that's going on. Like we got report on this. I got to do all, just sell it. Just sometimes, sometimes just sell your most annoying asset. Just sell it. Mm, I would say briefly that I think that he's making a comparison between two annoying people because I would imagine that a $100,000 client is way more annoying than a $500,000 client. So if you're comparing a million dollars to half a million, it's going to be different. So um, I would expect also that the person that has that much money is busy running a damn business. They don't got time to be chasing you down. That's what they hired you for to not be on your head. Whereas the person who might have less is probably trying to get rich with your services. And so they're more invested in seeing you successful so you kind of want the people who like already are making money in other places as opposed to the people that are like trying to get rich in the stock market. So it's funny. I was thinking about that today, how I was looking at a, at a meme and I was trying to figure out a way to spin it because I've been creating reels, y'all. I don't know if you guys saw my Kanye reel. I'm trying to create some more reels. And I want to say it was like the reel had something to do with when you're already where people are aspiring to be, but they're criticizing you and your plays. And I was like, it's funny because I remember when options like and they still are pretty hot but like when there's the new people in options and they're looking at those new stocks and the trendy companies like nicola and hertz and i wasn't fucking with them they're like oh charles i know what he's talking about blah 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 and i was like i've transcended to where you want to be now i have a portfolio that makes tens of thousand dollars for doing nothing you want to be here you wish you could be here that's the goal the goal is to trade until you have a massive portfolio that you don't have to actually manage that still makes good money So don't criticize me for not being where one day you would like to be. So Raphael, I got church at seven o'clock and it's 635 here. It's always good talking to Jamal. I think we're able to get a ton of value out of this conversation. I think that we're able to, um, I didn't want to touch on your whole corporate tweet fiasco. We could have talked about that. We could have talked about that. I I got clearance to talk about that. We could have talked about that. Man, that'll be for the next episode next, of Tweet Talks featuring Jamal. <laughs> once once a month, we bring Jamal on. Yeah, I, I'm with that. Like, it's or you know, we could do about. once a week. We trying to we trying to wrap this up. It. I'm trying to I'm trying to do a show a day. You know, you know what we you know what we should do? We should do a, a YouTube only um, show. We talk. We yeah, we just got to be consistent, only. man. We got to be I got, consistent. If y'all, if y'all if y'all give me a schedule, I can put it in my schedule. If, if it's gonna be what's today Wednesday, if it's gonna be Wednesday at seven every week, I can put that in the schedule. And make sure. All right. We got we got five people watching right now. So shout out to those people. 
Um, we're gonna continue to bring the fire right. every Lance, day. Yeah, because he he caught the the trenches and, <laughs> and the niches. Yeah, yeah. So I said, oh, <laughs> that was like Lance must be on the YouTube right yeah, now. Yeah, because that was hilarious. I think I saw Stephen's story comment something. I'm not sure, but one thing about the know. three of us is always gonna be good for a slogan. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good. good so, Raphael, you already know what to do. We're gonna take us out. You know, episode 115 of Tweet Talk, the Black Bev Podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow myself, Raphael, on tweet, Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow my partner Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow our guests, or follow our family, Jamal Fatos, on Twitter at Leo Grand Prince. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles on Instagram at Todd Billion and also at Todd.Capital. And Jamal, what's your Instagram? Because uh, Instagram is uh, Jamal W. Vitos. We will have that in the, the show. They, notes. They, can, they can type in Leo Grand Prince, it'll pop up just the same. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> pop up just the same. And I just want to leave you guys with one last thought from Charles. We're going to touch on this in the next episode. Money on a vacation is money gone. Mm. Episode 115 of Tweet Talk the Black Bear podcast. We are out. Peace. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast, featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag, you know what I can do. And so, without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm give you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.